Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Liar. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History final. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle butt. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you to full slate of Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me and my picks at Undercover Greg on Gambling Twitter. Been a little bit since we recorded an episode, so it is good to be back podcasting and talking a little NBA. We have not really covered the NBA playoffs that, that much on the pod, uh, so we're glad to do it today as the second round is now set. We record on a Sunday evening after the Clippers have eliminated the Mavericks and the Western Conference semifinals are now locked in. Eastern Conference semifinals already with a game apiece in the books. And to discuss more of the second round in the association, we bring on Sean Green from the Sports Gambling Podcast on uh, the Blue Wire Podcasting Network. You can find him at Sean, S-E-A-N-T Green on Twitter. And the Gambling Podcast is just at Gambling Podcast. Sean, I wish you guys had a more creative name. I got to say, I think we have you beat there, but it's good to have you aboard. <laughs> well, we do have Sports Gambling Podcast trademarked, and uh, we've been around for a long time. But, uh, yeah, you know, we, we kept the generics because people know, hey, it is the Sports Gambling Podcast. Uh, you know, keep it simple for people to find it. <laughs> there you go. And I do want to allow you the time. I know you guys got a contest going on over at your podcast, so uh, I'm not sure if we have any listeners that aren't as familiar with what you guys do over there. So uh, why don't you uh, plug everybody in on what you guys are doing for the NBA playoffs? 
Yeah, we just launched a uh, brand new app. You can get it in the App Store, Google Play Store. Just type in SGPN for the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. But yeah, we're giving away a thousand bucks, and you can enter in the app. It's pretty easy. You just select the NBA team you think is going to win the NBA Finals, how many games you think they're going to do it in, and then how many total points scored in the NBA Finals. Very easy, very simple. And then, you know, the point total should hopefully weed out any sort of a tiebreaker situation. $1,000 winner take all to the uh, person who comes the closest. Sounds good. So, again, you can uh, – is there a way that you just download the app and, and go from there as far as signing up? Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, you just uh, download the app, hit the contest tab in the app, can't miss it, and uh, you'll be good to go. So let's get jump into things now and talk a little bit about what we saw. First off, before we get into the immediacy of the second round, let's rewind a little bit. Anything jump out to you as far as the first round in the NBA? I, I must say I was a little surprised, as I think others probably were, by Denver handling Portland the way it did. Uh, Portland obviously doesn't seem to play much defense, and that came back to bite them in the rear end. We just saw uh, the road team win the first six games in the Clippers-Mavs series before the Clippers finally were able to hold serve at home and win that one. So maybe I guess the way we got to Clippers in seven was a surprise, but the fact that that was competitive, maybe not a shock. Um, And, you know, in the East, uh, I I didn't think too many many surprises. I think the, the, the favorites... Really, in all the series, held held serve there, and uh, you know maybe people a little surprised back out west with Phoenix and how that series ultimately played out with Anthony Davis's health with the Lakers. But for the most part, I, at least for me, I, I don't think too many surprises. Uh, besides, like I said, I, I was surprised to see Portland fold like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I had a, I had Portland winning that series. Uh, I definitely thought it was going to get to a game seven there because uh, it, it felt like a real back-and-forth affair. So, yeah, I, I had Portland going in seven. Uh, I mean, I had the Suns uh, winning that series, and I, I guess was it shocking? It certainly felt, living in Los Angeles, shocking. I think Lakers fans were in denial at really the state of the – the state of the team, and then Anthony Davis getting hurt. I mean, that, there's nothing shocking about that, that this this guy who's just perpetually kind of injured uh, wasn't able to uh, gut it out with the uh, hamstring pull, the groin pull. So not, not shocking, but still the fact that LeBron James is out of the first round of the NBA playoffs I, I think is pretty shocking. And it's a real win for the NBA and the officiating crews because so many conspiracy <laughs> theorists told us, oh, there's no way they uh, they don't put uh, Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs. Boom, they're gone. There's no way they don't let LeBron James and right. the uh, Los Angeles Lakers get to the second round. Boom, they're gone. So a real win for the NBA and, and, and a, uh, a blow against conspiracy theorists. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I didn't really even think of that, but you're right. Like, after the Warriors lost that first play-in game to the Lakers, the general perception going into that game against Memphis was, like you said, oh, no way. Like, they really would rather see Memphis in the first round than, than Golden State. And, and the same thing here now with LeBron James out of the playoffs uh, in the first round for the first time in his career, right? Yeah, first time ever. Yeah, and it's not going to be, uh, unfortunately for the NBA, it's probably not going to be a ratings bonanza 
uh, with these conference finals and some of these some of these markets in here because you don't have the Knicks, you don't have the uh, you know you know you don't have the Lakers. I guess the Nets, uh, you know, they have a bunch of big stars, but they certainly don't have any sort of like local following that's going to help uh, TV ratings wise. Right. Yeah. No. That that's a good point. And yeah, you know, you look across the West, and and yeah, you do have the Clippers still alive, but. Obviously, at the top, all all of the regular season, I think everybody was kind of just waiting to see, all right, well, what are Utah and Phoenix going to do in the playoffs? They've been at top of the regular season standings, but the Lakers have had these injuries, and uh, you know, then Murray got hurt for the Nuggets, and that caused them to dip down. So anyway, now we're seeing both Utah and Phoenix look to be pretty legit. Like you said, not the biggest in markets there, uh, and we'll just have to see – and neither is Denver, really. So uh, yeah. the Clippers kind of carrying the weight of the. Uh, I think the the casual fan probably wants to see what a Clippers Nets final. You would say. Yeah, I mean, it certainly has the most stars. As a Sixers fan, I'm going to make a case for the Sixers. Certainly, the uh, the Philly <laughs> team. To another one here. Southern oh. Jersey native, grew up in Cherry Hill. Oh wow! Okay, so you might know my cousin. Uh, my cousins—they're uh, Cherry Hill legends. So you probably ran into them at some point, or probably used the same uh, local bookie uh, back when you had to do that in the Jersey <laughs> area. So I, I think the Sixers get in. I, I don't know. I think they—I think they—they uh, they kind of could help uh, with the uh, with the uh, ratings for sure. So uh, we'll we'll see. I and and again, the Clippers, Los Angeles is a big market, but. As a guy who lives in L.A., and I actually, we went to the uh, Clippers-Mavs uh, game, uh, game five, which, of course, they lost because all the home teams lost, and it was hilarious walking out of the Staples Center and all these all these Lakers fans, there were, which there were probably equal number of Lakers and Clippers fans at that game, just talking so much crap to the uh, Clippers fans. It was, uh, it was pretty, uh, pretty funny. Yeah, that is funny to think about. Um, and, you know, as we... Uh, shift our focus now into the the second round as the the Clippers have survived and we just saw that. Let's get started with the Eastern Conference where last night in Brooklyn at Barclays Center, the Brooklyn Nets were able to hold serve in the first game, going up one game to none on the Milwaukee Bucks. It is worth noting now that James Harden is not going to play in tomorrow night's game two. Um, Seth, which way were you leaning in this series? And, uh, you know, what do you think this Harden news does right now? It looks like the Nets are a short home favorite, one and a half. Uh, total has certainly dipped down, 233 and a half. We were seeing 239 and a half, 240s mostly in game one. Uh, so where were you leaning before the series? And, uh, does this Harden news change anything? Well, uh, just to, just to, interrupt real quick but uh yeah i mean i'm i'm unfortunately i'm not seth green he's a much more successful uh version of the of the last name uh, john my mistake <laughs> no 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 worries it happens all the time it's funny um you know i i thought the value uh, on the series was actually on the game over like for the series of five and a half i definitely think this gets to uh six games or seven so that's that was kind of my lock of the series uh and i, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets to seven Harden being out certainly makes things interesting. My other play was uh, Bucks one and a half games on the series, but I actually took Nets minus four um, in the first game because I thought they would come out 
uh, playing really hot and and shooting well, and and they did. Bucks came out kind of slow. I think uh, a bunch of the rest may have may have hurt them there. But really, I, I mean, again, I love in the same way uh, that Heat Bucks game one, where the Bucks just shot horrific from behind the arc. They still got the win against the Heat in overtime, and then they came out game two and just lit it up. I, I think there's a version where we see something pretty similar here, where. You know, Kyrie stepped up because Harden was out, but now I think there's a little bit of a letdown here, I think, for the Nets in game two. So I would I would look to take the Bucks uh plus one and a half. Uh you're yeah, a fan I mean, of the zigzag theory in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean there there's always something to that. But again, I, I thought the Bucks would be slow to start game one. That's why I like the Nets. And now, I mean, the shooting regression is so strong now for the Bucks. I mean, they were what, six for thirty from behind the arc, twenty percent. Uh, yeah, and fifty-seven percent from the line. Like they're gonna, those numbers are gonna come back to uh, earth for this Bucks team. They're not that poor offensively. So, I, I think, uh, I think they have a big game uh, come, what is it uh, tomorrow? So yeah, yeah, give me the Bucks plus one and a half. Yeah, I would lean that side as well. Uh, I took, I cast on the under in game one. I kind of felt, and and I'll probably steer a little clear of the total here just because uh, I'm not quite sure as far as the impact of Harden being out and what that does if six points is enough of a move off of the 239.5-240 that we were seeing. But I kind of felt like with the three days off for Brooklyn, they didn't have to travel. All they have to do is be average defensively, and, and they're going to win a lot of games. So I was kind of thinking that they probably spent a lot of their time focusing on how to stop Milwaukee offensively and just trying to be, like I said, average defensively. And they were certainly able to do that, holding the Bucks to just 107 points. I'm with you, though. I still think this probably is a long series. And, and we're going to trade blows here. I mean, Giannis was still the leading scorer in the game and actually had a very efficient game in Game 1, shooting 16 of 24 from the field. And so... I think if you get the rest of the role players around him, Chris Middleton certainly can play better. He was ugly with just going 6-for-23 from the field. Drew Holiday can play better. So I, I think the supporting cast for the Bucks, right, that was the big thing about Milwaukee going into this year and why they went out and gave up that King's Ransom to uh, get, acquire Drew Holiday, excuse me, was the fact that, well, they, they just didn't have enough around Giannis quite yet. And, and so I would expect their role players to be a little bit better. I guess the one last thing on this series, uh, Sean, and I'm curious what you took from Blake Griffin's performance. I mean, that looked more like, you know, a, a vintage Blake Griffin, you know, double-double machine, 18 and 14. He cashed four triples. I mean, if he's doing that, then it certainly maybe deters this series from going six, seven games because – I think we all kind of just looked at Blake Griffin as a guy kind of in the back nine of his career, winding things down, uh, role player at best. And if he's able to do that again, then that would certainly subside the loss of Harden uh, as you know, Harden went to the bench very early in the first game anyway. So what do you take out of Blake Griffin's performance? And do you think that that's something that he can replicate or, you know, was it kind of a flash in the pan? Yeah, I mean, again, if Blake Griffin's going to get 18 and 14, uh, you know, 18 points, 14 rebounds, which I think that that 14 rebounds, that must be a, a playoff record for uh, Blake. If he's going to do that again, uh, I think my Bucks plus one and a half is going to be in trouble. But I, 
to me, that feels like a bit of an outlier. Um, I, I know he's looked better with the Nets, but there was like a what was it like a year and a half plus where he hadn't dunked or something, and then and then all of a sudden he's like dunking on back to back possessions for the Nets. I, I'm a little skeptical that we're going to see this same Blake Griffin. Uh, out of uh, you know, out of Blake in game two. I also think Kyrie Irving scoring twenty five points slightly an outlier. I, I mean, I, I think he's going to be under twenty, and I think Drew Holiday. I mean, his defense has to be better. I, I part of the reason why I thought it could go to six or seven was because I thought uh, Drew Holiday would would be able right. to slow slow down Irving a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I expect a little bit better defense from the Bucks. I think they're going to be better prepared. I, I like the Bucks coming off a loss, a uh, little wake-up call for them game one, and, and I think they bounce back. But I, I do feel like the Blake performance, a bit of an outlier. Yeah, I would agree. So I think we're kind of speaking the same language here as far as some positive regression for the role players for Milwaukee, uh, and we'll see uh, where the rest of the series goes. But certainly – would still expect at least six games between the Bucks and the Nets. Let's go to the other series in the East before we hit our commercial break, and it is the Philadelphia 76ers. Our Sixers losing in game one to the Atlanta Hawks. I had the Hawks, um, and so I cashed a ticket, but obviously was a little disappointed by especially the way the Sixers started on Sunday and really were never able to recover. It got very close in the end, and Atlanta certainly – uh, opened the door for the Sixers, but uh, the four-point margin, I think, a little misleading for anybody that didn't see the game. Atlanta pretty much made everything they threw up, and uh, the one thing that really uh, concerned me going in, Sean, was, well, what do we know about Embiid, right, and where is that meniscus at, and is he going to be able to play at 100%, um, and I don't know, you know, he, he said after the game today that it was all right, and he kind of stopped short of voicing any further optimism. But whether it was all right or however he felt, he certainly, you look at the stat line, 39 points, nine rebounds, and adds adds four assists as well. That's a typical Joel Embiid night, and yet the Sixers basically the whole game were down double digits. So I'm not really sure where this series goes now because, like I said, my whole thing was, well, if Embiid's not at 100% or if he can't play, then – Atlanta has a chance, and that caveat, at least by his performance today, thrown out the window, yet Atlanta's able to win uh, and, and lead most of the way by a comfortable margin. So how do you think today changes the series? Certainly on the series price, we're basically seeing standard juice each, each way, about minus 110 now uh, to get each team on the series price. Yeah, my co-host on the uh, Sports Gambling Podcast, uh, Ryan Kramer, he gave out uh, – for this series, the Hawks to win game one and Sixers to win the series before the series started at plus 350. Uh, and we kind of broke this down that, you know, if the Hawks do get the win, the juice is probably just going to go to even, which that uh, looks like uh, where it's at right now as far right. as on the series. So we were kind of ahead on that one. I, I thought the Sixers would have a better performance. I didn't see, you know, 42 first quarter points from the Hawks. Sixers kind of came out sleeping. Um, but I, I, I expect them to bounce back in game two. I think minus four and a half is the way to go there with the Sixers. Uh, I, they they got to get their free throw shooting right. Uh, ben Simmons has to hit some free throws. He played great. Uh, had a lot of like nice turnovers. 
Um, ten assists. I like seeing that out of, out of him. They just have to close out better on some of these, on some of the threes. Honestly, you can't let John Collins get twenty-one points against. You can't get let Bogdan get twenty-one points against you. I mean, Trey Young is going to get at least thirty points a game. It's just like right. that, just that dialed in. Uh, you just can't let these role players, especially at home, um, score that well. And the Sixers have been really good at home. The crowd, even though they were getting their ass kicked for most of the game, was still pretty in it, I thought. Um, so I think they're going to bounce back. I think the fact that they showed a little bit of fight. I mean, they were down 24. It was pretty easy to pack things in. Uh, so kudos to the Sixers for making a run at it. And obviously kudos to the Hawks for stealing game one. But I, I think the fight they showed in at least trying to close out things, or sorry, come back uh, against the closeout, uh, is promising for game two. Uh, and that's kind of the million-dollar question is if you think, you know, if you believe in that kind of momentum, because, like, there's the old baseball adage, momentum is only as good as the next day's starting pitcher. And, you know, here in a playoff series, you have a day off, and, you know, there's going to be 36, 48 hours or so, or 48 hours or so in between games one and two. And so if you think that the Sixers really found something there towards the end of this, this game, the fourth quarter, then, yeah, they probably coast. You probably lay the short number, and maybe this is still a pretty short series. Um, I, I think what's holding me back there is, I go back to what I initially voiced as my concern here for the Sixers, and I know that he was fine today, but can we count on Joel Embiid doing that night in and night out when it sounds like this whole meniscus situation is just going to be about pain management and getting it at a level? Like, he might wake up tomorrow and feel terrible. Like, it it just feels like that's the situation we're in now. Everybody knows he's going to have surgery in the offseason, and therefore trying to play through this the next couple of weeks uh, is going to be this kind of day-to-day thing where he might feel okay one day and he might feel terrible the next. Like, How do you think that impacts your level of confidence when it comes to betting on the Sixers? Yeah, I... You know, again, I'm a gut handicapper, and I'm refusing to let the idea of Joel knee, Joel Embiid's knee uh, taking them down in the series. So I'm just not going to think about it and keep riding it. And, hey, I mean, Embiid looked great here, 39-9. and nine. So if if a tor- if he can put up 39-9 and nine on the meniscus, I think you just have to ride with it. I, I, I think you have to assume Joel is going to play at a high level until we, until we don't see. Otherwise. Yeah, until we don't see otherwise. And and I, I think he probably could have played that last game against the Wizards. And so maybe, you know, he got enough rest. And, again, I mean, just watching it like I test. I don't think he was favoring anything. I didn't see him hampered uh, at all. Like, he seemed to be getting up and down the court maybe a hair slower than normal. But, yeah, I mean, I, I – he didn't look that injured, so I, I'm going to keep playing it as if he's close to 100% until I see otherwise. One last thing regarding injuries um, on the Atlanta front. Uh, we obviously have seen uh, – by the way, I didn't know this until I looked. They have nine guys in the regular season that average double figures in points. Um, so certainly a deep team when it comes to offensive production. But DeAndre Hunter didn't go today. And it sounds like this guy's been out for a while, uh, but Cam Reddish might be nearing a return in this series. Just any thoughts on what those two players might be able to bring the Hawks if they are able to come back? 
Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I think that's that's definitely a strength of their team is the depth. So you add a couple guys like that, uh, it does help help round out their depth. And again, you know, to, to the Sixers side, like we need, you know, Danny Green's got to hit a couple more buckets. Yeah, uh, and Matt, not guard Trey Young either. Like, come on, Doc yeah. Rivers. <laughs> exactly. And again, I, I I think you should put. I know it's early on in the in the series, and you're you're. But really, there shouldn't be a, a situation where like Simmons and Embiid aren't playing, you know, for like long, on the floor together. Like you can't take yeah, both that whole bench lineup teams. thing needs to stop. Yeah, I mean, I've been obviously a fan of Doc. I think a huge upgrade from Brett Brown, but uh, some of some of the roster management in this game in particular was pretty uh, pretty weak. So I, I I think if he sorts that out and even you know put Simmons on Trey Young for a little while, like make him work. Um, I'm fine with that. I know, I know you don't want to gas him too much, but I, I think there's a world where Simmons should be on Trey Young, at least for part of the game. Certainly not Danny Green. But yeah, I mean, again, the Hawks are pretty deep, so if they can add to that, uh, especially if they can get him for game three and four at home, uh, where, you know, traditionally the, the role players shoot better at home, I, I think that could give them a nice bump. You know, and, and one last thing on the whole guarding Young thing, like, if you don't want to gas Simmons too much and you know that you're going to need him playing 35, 40 minutes every game, fine. Then why not throw Matisse Thibel at him a little more? Like, it, it just felt like the offense was coming a little too easy for Trey today. Yeah, I mean, again, he's going to get his, but you have to at least make him work for it. And on the offensive end, go at him. Like, try and get him in foul trouble. Try and, you know, put him in uncomfortable spots. Um you know, guarding wise, like really go at him on the defensive end, make him work, see if you can gas him, see if you can, uh, you know, get, get those legs a little uh, tired. I, I, whatever you can do to slow him down, yeah, you're not going to completely shut him out, but you know, give him him an easy path, uh, like like they did, and just letting him pull up. It's like you know his game; he's going to pull up super deep. At least you know, try and get out there, uh, guard him. You know just farther out I, like they they really didn't have much of a plan to even slow him down so that was disappointing and I'm optimistic uh, Doc has something uh, working because they've been a good defensive team for the majority of the year especially at home Sean one last thing just tactically on this series that I want to ask you about we, we talked a lot about Trey Young and the outside shooting today for Atlanta was obviously excellent uh, Bogdanovich made five threes and um, Lou Williams and Kevin Herter off the bench hit some shots but how do you think the front court for Atlanta is going to hold up? Uh, again, you're taking the approach with Embiid of, well, until he doesn't look like himself, I'm going to expect that he is. So how do you think John Collins and Clint Capella hold up this series against him? Certainly both of those guys, pretty good performances today. Yeah, I get, you know, when we first hit on it saying, you know, Collins getting 21 points, if he's going to keep doing that, this is going to be a long series for the Sixers, but I, I do think, you know, just keep getting him beaten in the paint. I know he probably, maybe he doesn't want to bang around as much because of the knee. Um, and, and he, he did hit a couple threes there, but anything you can do to pressure those guys and to get to, uh, you know, deeper parts of the bench by forcing your way to the line and actually hitting some of your free throws, I think is the way to go, you know, get those guys in foul trouble. So last point here on this series, it sounds like, because, like I said, I had a little bit of concern going in just regarding Embiid's health. He looks okay, and they still didn't play well. So my whole theory as a Sixers fan 
or my whole thinking has been, gee, I, I don't know if this is going to be a cakewalk. And I don't know. Like, a lot of people were just – and I get it. Like, getting the number one seed was important to stay in the top half of the bracket and let Brooklyn and Milwaukee battle it out. And, you know, plenty of Sixers fans, and I don't even necessarily blame them a ton, were having the conversation of, okay, well, who do we want, rather want to see in the Eastern Conference Finals, the Nets or the Bucks? Might still be the case, but I don't know, Sean. I kind of had the approach going into this series, especially looking at how quickly Atlanta disposed of the Knicks, that this was going to be a dogfight. And today really hasn't changed my mind there. So gun to my head, I would still take the Sixers, especially now on a series price when, like we said, we're talking about basically standard juice. But it wouldn't be a bet I would feel super confident about. So in other words, uh, you know, I, I don't love anything here maybe like you said laying the points with the Sixers to get back on track in game two I could see myself on that side but when it comes to the rest of the series um, you know I I am not as quick to dismiss this as just one game and and I do think this could go six or seven Uh, you you think it'll be a a breeze here for the Sixers moving forward or are the Hawks in with a real chance no no I I I think it's uh, I think you nailed it I think game six game seven if you can still get some uh, over on the series price number of games, I think that's the way to go. I still like the Sixers as well at even money, but I, you know, I mean, the next game, game two is a must win for the Sixers. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we've seen this before. I mean, you know, the zigzag is kind of a basic theory, but there is some truth to it where especially a young team like the Hawks, it's and you saw it even against the Knicks, like the one right. game they lost was game two after they game already stole game they won one. Game one. Right. It, it's gonna be hard bags already and get ready to go home. Yeah, I mean they already had mission accomplished. You know they're ready to roll out the banner uh, on the uh, aircraft carrier. So I, I think uh, <laughs> deep reference there. I, I think the Sixers get it done and kind of reset the series by stealing one, either game three, game four. But I, I think after four games we're going to be sitting two two, and in that case I do like the Sixers to win two out of three. Uh, you know, to close it out. But it's certainly going to be a dogfight. There's some agreement there as well. Let's take a break. We'll come back and hit on the two Western Conference semifinal series that have yet to start on the other side. If you love listening to us here on Full Slate, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. That's the same rate any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite team, then make sure, make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description... Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. And we're back here on Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find 
me and my picks at Undercover Greg. Also give the podcast to follow at full underscore slate underscore pod. Our producer Alex always does a good job of uh, shooting the breeze with our fellow degenerates. Uh, and we bring on a guest today. Uh, he is Sean Green from the Gambling Podcast, also with Blue Wire, or the Sports Gambling Podcast, excuse me, with Blue Wire. That's at Gambling Podcast on Twitter, at Sean T. Green, S-E-A-N, is where you can find him. Uh, Sean, thanks again for joining us. Before we get back into the basketball, any anything fun with, with your weekend? Any fun happenings, uh, drinks that you want to recommend that people haven't had? Good food? What, what's your weekend look like? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a Sunday, and actually uh, we're doing a um, the podcast. We're uh, at a conference, FSGA, Fantasy Sports Gambling Association, a trade show out here in Dallas. And, you know, I'm a diehard Eagles fan. My co-host, he's a diehard Giants fan. And uh, we're literally staying in the it, the the hotel is on like eleven Dallas Cowboys way. The <laughs> view outside of our uh, hotel is the Cowboys training facility, and you know the even the bedspread has a uh, has a disgusting stain in the shape of a uh, Cowboys logo on it. So I, we're in Cowboys country. I've been uh, kind of disappointed at these soft Cowboys fans because I'm rocking my Eagles hat. Even had the Eagles uh, mask on. No, no, not getting anything. So, Cowboys fans, you guys are soft. Where's the chirping? (laughs) Uh, I guess if you haven't won a playoff game in uh, decades, it feels like uh, you you don't talk much. So, yeah, that's been kind of the weekend. Maybe some some Mavericks somberness going on there? Well, I, I was the one, we went to the poolside bar to kind of hang out, grab a beer, and watch the game, and I was the one who had to ask to put the game on. Uh, you know, none oh, of the... None of the no, no, they... <laughs> I know, I was pretty disappointed, so uh, we'll see, we'll see, uh, you know, what level these fans are at, but uh, yeah, I was surprised. So let's move forward and get into the Western Conference semifinals. Um, And let's start with the game that is on Monday night in the desert. The Phoenix Suns welcoming in the Denver Nuggets. Uh, We're seeing Phoenix be uh, installed as about a four and a half point home favorite. Total of 219 and a half. Um, And and Sean, I'll be honest, I I have to look to the home chalk here in this one. Uh, Maybe perhaps stubbornly so. We talked in the beginning about how both of us were... Kind of surprised that Denver was able to eliminate Portland the way it did. But you look at the way Phoenix defended in that series. And really at different points, like LeBron just was kind of checked out. And I think that some of that has to be a credit to the Suns. Uh, and, and listen, I know AD was obviously not at 100%. But I thought that Phoenix really did a good job of keeping the Lakers offense at bay and and not letting them ever really get on a big kind of game-changing run. Uh, and it was usually the other way around where Phoenix was the one going on the big spurts. And, and I, I think that's kind of the point that I want to carry over into this series because even if, and we saw it obviously in game five between Portland and Denver, as good as Lillard was, there was never a juncture where you could feel if you were a Blazers fan that that was safe. And oftentimes they were the ones playing catch-up despite Lillard dropping 55, just because of how bad they were on the defensive end of the floor the whole series long. And that, and obviously in the playoffs, that's not going to fly. So 
that's kind of my overarching angle to this series. Uh, the Suns have also just been a money in the bank team all year at home, and uh, that, that there are 26 and 13 in first quarters at home. That includes the playoffs against the spread. Um, and I don't, I'm looking it up right now um, as far as their ATS full game numbers as far as uh, this season, but I know they were one of the best bets uh, in the NBA as far as covering numbers at home. So I think that coupled with the fact that I just have to think that this is going to be a little bit of a wake-up call for a shorthanded Denver team makes me think that the Suns are the side here um, as I pull it up now. Uh, Phoenix, this season, regular season and playoffs at home, uh, 25-14 and 14 against the number. Ironically enough, the only team better, a team we were just talking about, the Atlanta Hawks, 25-13 and 13 against the spread at home. So I like, I like Phoenix to, to win game one against Denver. How do you see it? Yeah, no, I mean, all the points you just made there is why I like uh, the Suns to win the series. But I think game one, five points, I'm going to lean Nuggets. And, again, this is kind of just more – an emotional uh, handicap and gut handicap and other situation. Watching the Suns react to taking down the Lakers. I mean, yeah. they a were flat. Yeah. And, and again, I, I think they're going to come out a little flat. I, and I think Denver, you know, they got, they have that nice momentum. Uh, I mean, they just had six games, Garden Dame Lillard. So I think they'll be ready for for a Devin Booker as much as you can be. So I, I think Nuggets plus five is the way I'm going here. But, again, you you bring up a bunch of good points as to why I like Suns and the series. But, you know, the Suns, like Jay Crowder, Mikael Bridges, like it felt like a real monkey off the back uh, series win for this Suns team of like, hey, everyone was taking the Lakers. We were a two seed and we were an underdog. No one believed in us. Right. I think it's going to be tough. Yeah, they to kind of relax a bit. Yeah, just game one. But I, I, I do like uh, where your head's at for the series. And, again, I, I think I would feel good taking Suns' money line. I mean, I'm not a guy who lays minus 200 money lines in the NBA. Um, I, I think plus five for the Nuggets is where I'm going uh, game one here. Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting point you make about the situational spot for Phoenix coming off of that win, maybe enough so to kind of talk me off the Suns. It was probably my – least favorite play of these four games, a uh, couple game ones in the West, couple game twos in the East that we're discussing. Um, and, you know, I, I I definitely don't think Phoenix rolls right through Denver. Uh, so I, I could see the Suns winning, or excuse me, the Nuggets winning a game or two along the way. Uh, but I, I think you make some good points. I, I'll be honest, I don't have a ton else on this series. I kind of summed it all up there. Um, as far as X factors, difference makers, you know, role players, things like that. I don't know if you're a DFS guy, if there's like some, some good role player values out there that you're hunting down, uh, just anything else Suns Nuggets wise. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, uh, not game one, but like after, um, you know, for the, for any sort of closeout situations, uh, definitely play uh, Chris Paul and the over on his player props and stuff like that, or even throw him in the, throw him in the DFS lineup. Uh, I, I would stay away from him like game one, game two, but you know, game five, game six, game seven, possible uh, closeout situations. You gotta love a guy like Chris Paul. I mean, I, I'm the the way he plays with a chip on his shoulder. I could see how it's really annoying uh, for some players, or if you're playing against him. 
but you know, as a fan, I, I like, uh, you know, I like how fiery he is. So I think he gets it done late in the series, kind of when they need that, that alpha to step up. Um, you know, and and I think Booker is going to get his to some degree. Again, game one, I I do think slightly flat. So I would I would look to to some of the unders uh, sure. as far as Suns uh, player props when it comes to shooting and scoring. So, you know, maybe look like an under on Booker uh, game one. I don't I don't know what his uh, number is at, but I'm sure it's pretty high. Um, so yeah, I would look I would look under game one for some of their shooting stuff. You no, know, it's interesting what you said about Chris Paul, by the way. Um, Still has not been to the conference finals, and oh. uh, uh, you know it is funny, funny how sports work sometimes. Where uh, we're seeing you know a bit of a renaissance here for CP3, and uh, you know not that he was bad in Oklahoma City or in Houston, but at age 36, uh, probably the best chance he's going to get uh, to play in the conference finals. So uh, you know, try not to handicap emotionally and not even necessarily a handicapping point there, but I would definitely be happy for him uh, if Phoenix got to the next round. Yeah, no, I, I think he, he does have that edge for a guy who, it's weird because he, like you said, he's never gotten to a conference finals. He's never played in an NBA finals, but yet if he's healthy and in the playoffs, I I like him especially against this uh, Nuggets team that doesn't have, a, a ton of experience, and I think it was a really smart move by the Suns uh, and you know, to bring. It's funny, Sean. We talked in the beginning about, oh uh, well, what are the what's the NBA rooting for here, and what what's the national media want to see? You know, Clippers Nets. If that is the NBA Finals, like is that kind of the the matchup that everybody's looking their chops for? Well, how about this for storyline? What if we get Clippers Suns Conference Finals and Chris Paul goes up against his former team? Obviously, it's a much different Clippers team from the Lob City days, but I think that would be another media storyline that everybody would be licking their chops over. Oh, yeah, you're right. That probably is is the dream scenario, Suns Clippers. And, uh, yeah, that'll be a good series for sure. I was actually at that game where the Clippers were up, you know, Lob City. This is probably like the farthest. six against Houston? Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was such a weird... I fell I, asleep on my Cherry Hill couch and woke up to Josh Smith <laughs> making everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when they took James Harden out and he's got the towel over his head, super pissed, we're just like, oh my God, we're going to see the Clippers in the conference finals. And then they just keep missing shots and Josh Smith keeps hitting them. It was it was a weird experience. And that was probably like the height, because I go to a... a you know, a bunch of Clippers games just because the the tickets are cheaper. But that was probably the most, <laughs> the like the truest Clippers fans I've seen, or like the most amped up Clippers fans. Because now, even you know, when they brought in Kawhi and Paul George, um, I don't know. Like Clipper Nation isn't like all the way in, and who knows? Is there really a Clipper Nation? I don't think it's really. I don't think it's reached nation status yet. So, I, I you're right. Clippers Suns would be a, a great Western Conference final. And now we'll discuss the last conference semifinal. We'll see if we're going to get there. Uh, and that's Clippers and the Utah Jazz. Utah disposing of the Memphis Grizzlies in five games. The Clippers, just moments ago, wrapped up the Dallas Mavericks in seven. Uh, Sean, I'll just get started here with uh, game one set for Tuesday night in Salt Lake City. I don't know. I'm going to ask you. I'm looking right now. I see numbers out for tomorrow's games is there a game one line in total no I, yeah i'm on 
I'm on the app now. I don't I don't see any uh I don't I don't see a number for it yet. So I'll I'll just give you what I'm thinking uh and it's kind of similar uh, like similar angle as far as I think maybe a flat spot but perhaps the reasoning a little different as far as what you were saying about Phoenix perhaps being a little flat in game 1 against Denver on Monday night. I think the same thing could be in play for Utah in game 1 on Tuesday night. Um and listen, they've had a week off last closed out Memphis in game five on last Wednesday night. And, you know, because if Dallas had won game six in Dallas, that game one would have just been played between Dallas and the Jazz right now. So the Jazz have had to wait around a bit for their opponent in this round. And now it ends up being the Clippers. And I also just think that while everybody is aware that this is going to be a huge step up for Utah going from Memphis to Los Angeles. I just can't help but think that the Jazz were in a little bit of cruise control there against the Grizzlies. They lose the first game, and then they win four in a row, and three of the four wins are by double digits. And as that series is going on, it just becomes more and more apparent that, you know, it's not just – it's just not the Grizzlies' time yet, and, and they're not – ready to win playoff series. And it really did feel like Utah just coasted the rest of the way in that series. So that's really where I'm going as far as a gambling angle in the first game. I'm leaning Clippers, but I like it more in the first quarter, first half type of deal where I do think maybe there's some rust, maybe a little flat. Clippers have been playing, obviously, with their backs to the wall. Normal rest for them with just the one day. They are going to altitude in Salt Lake City, but that's not enough to keep me off it. I'm thinking first quarter, first half in game one, the Clippers are just a little, uh, you know, I don't want to say fresher because they're the ones that had to play seven games, but less flat and and just more in rhythm. Uh, And it's a big step up for Utah. I'm not quite at the point where, uh, you know, I, I would just expect, I know that's another good home court there in Salt Lake City. Uh, but we just saw the Clippers win three on the road in Dallas. Um, I would think that they're probably live on the money line as a short dog in this game as well. But like I said, with the rust angle really coming into play for me, I like them in the first quarter, first half, uh, a little bit more. How do you see this game one? Yeah, no, I mean, they, they, they've they shown the, the Clippers that they're really good on the road, right? So right. I, I think, uh, yeah, they haven't lost a road playoff game. So if you're a Clippers fan or a backer, that's the way to spin it. I had the Clippers coming out of the West. I, I still think that team Real quick, is I am ulti- seeing Jazz minus $1.50, Clippers plus 130 on the series price. Okay. Yeah, I just saw that pop out. So, yeah, I, I'm going Clips plus 130 there for the series. It should be, uh, you know, again, does feel like a six-game, maybe seven-game. Ultimately, I do think the weirdness uh, between Donovan Mitchell and the organization of the team I think sure. could have some uh, some undertones there. And, you know, say what you will, but I, I, I think, and the Clippers clearly sleepwalk in those first two games, but then they had, they had a deal with Luca, who was just, uh, I mean, on another level, like watching that guy in person, I, I didn't have an appreciation enough for him before I went to that game, but man, that guy could get everything. He was huge. Uh, and just so smooth watching him live. The jazz don't have Luca. So right. I, I mean, <laughs> To state the obvious, like they they are a good team, they are well rounded. You are playing at elevation, check check check. 
but I do think uh, the Clippers ultimately get game one, and I think they get the series. So I would even look at like a Clips win game one, Clips win the series uh, prop there. Um, and yeah, I, I like him at plus 130. I think you've seen another dimension of Kawhi where he amps up his defense uh, and and kind of has that extra switch. So, so yeah, I, I, I like Clips here for sure. You know, I know this was the very round that they – choked in last year, granted circumstances different in the bubble, but up 3-1 and losing three straight against Denver. But don't you think there's also kind of a, an intangible element going on here for the Lakers, excuse me, the Clippers too, where they they lost the first two at home. They win four out of five against Dallas, including two back-to-back elimination games. They finally win a game at home in game seven. Don't you think there's just kind of a... a, a and I don't want to mean relax in a bad way in that they take Utah lightly or anything, but just to relax and just kind of go out and play type thing now for the Clippers where there's obviously still pressure on them, but they they didn't succumb to it in the first round after digging a hole for themselves. I kind of look at that as, all right, they're, they're just going to be able to kind of forget all of the, you know, exterior factors, media hype, whatever, and, and and anything that might have been not off the court stuff that might have been giving them problems, I think that goes out the way because if you just look at their roster and Dallas's, it obviously it shouldn't have been a seven game series. Like they they clearly have the better roster, and I just think you know some pressure and and extraneous factors kind of got in the way of the Clippers a little in that first round series. They were able to overcome that. I think they kind of just go out and play here. And the star, the star power takes over, right? Yeah, no, and and again, the the next level that we saw to Kawhi was was kind of the reason, you know, he put up forty five in Game Six. Uh, I forget what he put up Game Seven, but certainly had another uh, really good game. And I, I think Kawhi is going to be the best guy out on the court. And ultimately, in the NBA playoffs, that kind of ends up being uh, the difference. And you know, kudos to Luca for for just getting them to game seven. I, I don't think anyone saw that series going seven. If you did, uh, congrats. And why aren't you, why aren't you sending me your picks? Cause uh, like you said, the roster was so much better for the Clippers, just a, a more experienced team. But we've seen this uh, again and again. You see with the Hawks where one guy, uh, you know, playing at an elite level can really carry the rest of the team. And I think we're going to see that out of the Clippers. And I, I just don't see how the Jazz can uh, match that. Like, I, I just don't see how they can match Kawhi Leonard and even some of the role players around there. Um, you know, you go – you go person by person. I'm grading a lot of the matchups uh, for the uh, for the Clippers there, and I think ultimately why Utah is a favorite is uh, you know because they're the one seed, they have home court advantage, and uh, overall they play better as a team. But I think we saw a version of the Clippers playing together as a well-rounded team those last few games against Dallas, and I think. Uh, we could look back on this if the Clippers end up pulling it out, uh, you know, against the Jazz and maybe as they go farther that uh, the fact that they played the Mavs and had to go seven, that gut check kind of woke them up and, and ultimately made them a better team. Right. And that's kind of my overarching point into this series is that the Clippers, the alarm clock went off, the Clippers woke up and, and I don't see them going back to sleep now. No, they're wide awake. They already have their coffee. They got their espresso. <laughs> 
Exactly. They're, they're throwing in a cold brew as well. They're not going back to sleep. It's high noon, you know. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're not sleeping until the NBA Finals, or at least that's the hope uh, there with the Clippers. So, any, uh, by the way, uh, just as far as the uh, the pulse there in L.A., is there uh, the Clipper faithful, is, you think it's more, I, I know you're in Dallas now, but is it more relief? Or, or excitement, you know, we're finally making it further than the Lakers. Like, what's the, the fan base like there? Well, again, um, appreciate your optimism that there is a pulse in, in L.A. dealing with the Clippers. <laughs> There's this. I mean, get out the paddles and, and start hitting hitting the corpse of the Clippers uh, nation there. Sure. Now, no one no one cares about the Clippers. They care about the Lakers. Once they go, you know, to the conference finals or even at least second round of the playoffs, normally in L.A. you see – That bandwagon can get pretty big? Oh, yeah. Once once the playoffs happen, you usually see, like, the Lakers flag come out and the, the guy at the gas station selling all the Lakers T-shirts. I mean, you go to a sporting goods store right now, You, it's like Lakers, Dodgers, Raiders – and that's about it. Like, you would have no idea the Chargers or Clippers play in this city. You mean Rams? So, <laughs> yes. Oh, sorry, Rams. <laughs> Rams Rams, and Raiders, that's about it. But even that is super light. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, it's certainly not a Clippers town. Um, it's going to be weird when they open up the new – uh, new uh, Clippers stadium to see how many – I mean, I guess – Right, I forgot about that. When does that open? Yeah, I, I I think it got pushed back, but I'm guessing next year. So it'll be interesting to see if like fans actually uh, – if there are Clippers fans and they emerge out of the woodwork. I mean, I, I kind of – I'm I'm pushing for the Sixers to to win it all because that would be an awesome experience. But if they don't do it, I I would want the Clippers to win the NBA championship just – just to see a, uh, how lightly attended the parade would be. <laughs> and I don't even know where it would go. Uh, it, would not be, it would not be going nuts. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens. But I, I, don't, I think the fandom is just kind of wishy-washy because I think even if you were a diehard Clippers fan, it's hard to kind of really fall in love with this team because Kawhi and Paul George just kind of came here as mercenaries. Like, there were actually years of, you know, Lob City, those guys, you know, had a decent run-ish. And, you know, they were there year after year. The Clippers drafted Blake. You know what I mean? So there was like an, a, you know, you kind of, and, and DeAndre, and and they're kind of like a fun team. So I think they actually had some fan connection. And, you know, Kawhi's like one, one degree uh, off of a robot. And Paul George isn't like the most talkative guy either. So I, I don't know if they're really – the most connected. They're actually kind of perfect for the for the Clippers team because, you know, you don't really need to connect with the fans. Just show up and hit buckets. <laughs> well, last thing, by the way, on that, and, you know, we talked, we're both Sixers guys, grew up in the Philly area. I'm curious now, having lived, how long have you lived in L.A.? Oh, it's a while. Uh, I'd say like 17 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, so certainly just – Within the last 10 years, we've seen Doc Rivers coach the Clippers and now the Sixers. How much of the Clippers' failures, because he coached both versions of those Clipper teams that made deep run, well, deep, you know, maybe that's a a bit of an over-exaggeration, but got to the second round with the recent, you know, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard version, even though the role players have changed a little bit uh, this year. And then, obviously, in Lob City, he was the coach the whole time. So, 
were there was there anything that you saw as big time hindrances for him as far as his coaching acumen and and underachieving with those teams and you know and and anything that maybe in turn could be causes for concern for the Sixers. Uh, yeah, he's probably not the best at like drawing up plays and stuff like that. I mean, I think his strength relies in connecting with the the players. Like he's sure. on an emotional level. Yeah, he's a, he's a players coach, but he's not soft. You know, whereas like Brett Brown was a players coach, but it was like detrimental. I thought right because he didn't I, necessarily I, have the respect of the room, Brett. Yeah, and and he couldn't be a hard ass. Like, right. and I think. The fact that he was the coach while they were tanking and trusting the process, like it just, it's it's hard to get out of that. So I think the fact that you know Doc, um, I, I think his best uh, attribute as a coach is that every year he's been a coach from now until like I mean you know those years with the Celtics. I mean the vast majority of the Clippers years, there's always been high expectations. Like he hasn't he hasn't blown by them, but he's. He's done a good job, I think, of managing high expectations for a team. So I think that's probably his greatest asset. His hindrance is the kind of like day-to-day drawing up, and and even you know you saw it tonight. Some like of some the of stuff the, we saw today with the rotation. Yeah, I, I think that's probably his weakness. But I, I think his other stuff of just like galvanizing the team. Um, you know, I think he's pretty strong. I don't have it off the top of my head, but it's against the spread record coming off a loss uh, is usually pretty strong. So I, I I think they're going to be able to get them to bounce back. Yeah, I, I guess the reason I ask is because his one title was with that first year of the Celtics' big three when Ray Allen was still making every shot he threw up and, and Garnett was obviously still that menace on the defensive end and made every 15-footer and, uh, you know, Pierce – you know, wheelchair aside was, you know, still a, a pretty big time player. So in other words, I think since then it's been a lot of disappointment for him in his coaching career in the playoffs and obviously hoping that that doesn't continue. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think you nailed it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know what else to add. <laughs> I, I get it. No, I, I do want to ask you one last question. Um, and maybe there are some listeners out there that are holding some live tickets it's on the uh, you know, futures market is the, in the NBA championship. I wonder if you are, and, and just how do you strategize that type of thing? Are you one to try and look for hedge opportunities or just let them ride and, and look to, you know, the day-to-day markets to do the rest of your stuff? Well, the, you know, we end every uh, podcast with let it ride. So I'm not much of a, uh, I'm not much of a hedge guy. Neither am I. <laughs> Hedging is for landscapers is what I say. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's it's the same thing like when you're playing blackjack, whatever. You, I made my decision early on that I'm not going to hedge. Uh, you know, I, I again, part of gambling and betting on sports is the entertainment, the rush, right? Uh, having fun with it. Like I don't treat it. Some people go so hard with the numbers, they treat it like you're trying to get a three uh, percent return on your 401k. Like that's not what whatever money you have putting in towards gambling. It should be. Hey, let's let's gamble. Let's you know, let's hang on to this Sixers ten to one ticket because I I got a good feeling about the Sixers making a run. So yeah, I'm not one that's gonna you know sit down and crunch all the numbers and and hedge out on on some of these. But it, I mean, if you're looking to, I, I don't know what you would be. I don't think there's any sort of crazy movement right now 
in the futures market, honestly. Like maybe the clip, maybe the Sixers tickets are slightly lower because they lost. Uh, well, I was going to ask, do you have a, a Sixers ticket or a Clippers yeah. ticket? Or yeah, I, I've I have a Sixers at ten to one. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to sit on that and see what happens. Well, there he is, Sean Green from the Sports Gambling Podcast, joining us here on Full Slate. Uh, Sean, I had a lot of fun with you. I'd love to get you back on again. Always good to get a guy with some Philly roots. Uh, and you said you got family in Cherry Hill. So are you actually a Cherry Hill native as well? No, I'm originally from uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Bethlehem, but, yeah. Oh, so did you have your days back when the Eagles had their training camp at Lehigh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, there all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fist, I remember fist bumping uh, Ray Rhodes back in the go. day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I got Randall Cunningham's autograph at the Westgate Mall. And I remember saying, hey, Randall, I'm going to see you in the Super Bowl. And he laughed. And I thought, that's not a good sign. <laughs> and well, he's laughing at the Super Bowl. But... Well, if Randall and the offense could ever figure it out with those Buddy Ryan defenses, then oh, man. it probably would have happened. But that is one of the. That's one of the great what ifs. Like if if Randall had Andy Reid as his, as his head coach, or even right. hell, even Doug Peterson, just someone who knew something about offense, I'll that would have been awesome. <laughs> well, there he is again, Sean. I appreciate you hopping aboard. Always good to get another guy with some Philly roots on the podcast. And hey, not not our day today, but go Sixers. Go Sixers, go Birds. Thanks for having me on, man. You bet. There he is, Sean Green at Sean T Green on Gambling Twitter. His podcast is a sports gambling podcast at Gambling Podcast. My name is Greg Frank. Find me at Undercover Greg on Gambling Twitter. Follow our podcast at Full Underscore Slate Underscore Pod. It's round two of the NBA playoffs. Everyone enjoy, and of course, please play responsibly. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.